This is the Journey 66 Book Writing Podcast. I'm Melissa Parks with Dave Getz, and we are your road trip advisors. You may be at mile marker one and just thinking about an idea for a book, or maybe you've gone off-road in your writing and you want to restart the journey. Join Dave and me as we help you buckle up and write. Here are some shocking publishing numbers for you. Amazon's market share of self-published print books, not eBooks, in the United States increased from 6% in 2007 to 92% in 2018. During that same period, Vanity Press publishers dropped their share from 73% of all published books in 2007 to just 6%. As of 2020, the number sits at just 1%. What does that mean if you're writing a book? Self-publishing will likely be the route you take to get your work out into the world. While it's easy to scoff at self-publishing, to believe you have less credibility if you self-publish, there are numerous benefits to self-publishing, the biggest one being the control you have as a writer. Today, we are going to discuss the three primary benefits of self-publishing. I'm excited about this conversation today, Dave, but first I wanna know, have you made progress this week? Dave and Jana made progress this week. I've been married for almost 30 years and Jana is in the midst of making a job change. And as I support her, I'm learning how to support her and not tell her what to do. So I think I've made some progress. For example, I helped her write the resignation letter, but instead of just writing it for her and then asking her to edit it, I let her create the first draft and let her edit it. And I just made very, very small suggestions. So the progress I'm making is to be more supportive, be more of a listener and stop just doing things or not just demanding things, but just just being a support and not doing it. Yeah, so do you think that she's recognized your progress? I hope so. (laughs) We should should probably ask her. I'll, I'll about, give her a call after this. <laughs> yeah. How how about you? Uh, how was your week? Yeah, it was a good week. So we we meaning my husband and I are on week two of trying to shed the COVID fifteen. I think my husband actually put on about forty pounds during COVID, and I actually don't weigh myself, so I don't know the exact number. But I can tell that I've gained weight because my jeans are just too tight. Hence the sad wear, which I discussed last week. So we finally decided jointly, and since he's working from home, it's much easier to do this jointly, to eat healthy again. We used to be so much better about it, but during COVID, we'd eat like these decadent desserts every single night, and my husband would make cookies all the time, and so would my, my, my son, and we would just rifle through like two dozen in two days, which is incredible to think about. I mean, that's like averaging like six cookies a day. So anyway, all that to say, we are turning the corner, and I'm on week two, and I kind of am feeling in that rhythm of not feeling like I'm going to die from deprivation. And it's not really deprivation, but I do get used to like that little treat at the end of the day. So, you know, at the end of the day, just knowing I'm not going to die if I don't have like a little cookie or something while I'm watching my Netflix show. That is so hard to break. That bit of sugar, no matter when you have it, but especially late in the day, like you eat and you go back to Netflix for a bit, and then you get up, you're, you're between shows, and you go, man, 
I'd like to have that, uh, that shortbread cookie, just one. Next thing you know, you have three. And then you go sit back down, you're sated, but you've just added on 300 calories. Right, without even thinking about it. Yeah. Exactly. I just know that this has been so common for so many people during COVID. It, food does, you know, trigger comfort. And so I know a lot of people are in the same boat that I'm in. And I guess I'm here to offer hope that you can make progress in this area. I have never actively dieted or it's been years and years and years because I don't really believe in dieting. So for me, it's just more trying to just make healthier food decisions. I just have said, hey, I, I need to have a lifestyle to do it. I also have, you know, you and I worked on that book project, Unweighted Nation, which was all about this obsession we have with dieting and the thin ideal and so, um, yeah, trying to eat less without actually having a specific diet, but trying to create a lifestyle that's sustainable, that's hard to do. It's hard to do. Absolutely. I already feel better. You know, I don't feel bloated and just like kind of just gross because sugar really does kind of make you feel gross in the long run. So progress onward, I'll have to report back in a couple months and you know, when it's Jean's time again, we're out in the open. So I'm not going to make any comments. So uh, you'll have right. to tell me whether or not you're making progress. I will. I'll, I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So today, Dave, we are going to be talking about the benefits of self-publishing, as I remarked on before. And we've helped a lot of authors self-publish and you've self-published two books yourself. So let's talk about when and why people typically first consider self-publishing. I think it's when they get rejected or they really stumble when it comes to finding an agent. Uh, I just had an email yesterday from a friend who referred me to a couple who's writing a book on spirituality and they see me and they said, hey, could you refer us to somebody who might know of a literary agent? Now there are literary agent lists. They probably tend not to be that great, but uh, in, the, in terms of accuracy, but so often when people stumble either in finding a literary agent or not landing a traditional publisher, they tend to say, okay, well, maybe I should self-publish. And they often you feel like, okay, you're conceding something in that, in that moment. By the way, you mentioned the phrase vanity publishers. That is such a significant number where it was over 70%. And within, I don't know how many years, it's now less than 1%. And the reason why I think vanity publishers are those publishers that used to do custom publishing. And so you'd have a business executive who would, I want a book because I think that makes me great, or I think that's going to help me with my business. So there were these vanity publishers. So today, that statistic is so significant. Now, Amazon represents what, 90 some percent? What yeah, was that? yeah, 92% in 2018. And I would imagine in 2020, the numbers are even higher. So I'll add to that another time that people consider self-publishing is not because they're rejected by a traditional publisher or they can't find a literary agent. It's simply because they don't intend to sell a lot of copies. It's more of a legacy book or a memoir that they're doing maybe for a family or a very small print run, in which case it wouldn't make sense to go through a traditional publisher. A publisher wouldn't run, wouldn't run or publish that book and people know that. So that is an instance also, of, I think when people consider self-publishing. So Dave, what do you think the single biggest myth behind self-publishing is? There are actually several myths. Certainly the first is that you think that you will sell more copies if you go with a traditional publisher. 
but it's really a myth because if you end up selling more copies, generally it's incremental. It, it's not uh, it's not substantive, if 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 at all. Uh, I, I remember a story of a book. It may have come out in the two thousands, and it was it was published by a traditional publisher, but this person got a nonprofit to purchase 60,000 copies and then have them distributed to their workers or their nonprofit workers across the world. So imagine if at the print run, you sold immediately 60,000 copies. That creates an enormous forest fire. And, and what a way to see the market. So what if his book sold, and I think it sold over a million copies after that. And then he got contract after contract for his subsequent books. And none of his, his subsequent books sold anywhere near his original one. My guess is that he would have sold as many copies if he had self-published if he had that same 60,000 sold immediately once the book was published. I know that you shared a list um, published by a publishing house where they listed their 20 favorite books for the year. And many of those books that were traditionally published sold under a thousand copies. It was amazing. There were, I think, 10 or 15 books that were listed and nominated by the magazine for a book of the year award in these different categories. It was in spirituality. And I think only one book out of the 15, let's say there were 15, I think it was roughly 15, only one sold 15,000 copies. 85, 90% of the rest of the copies, I think sold less than a thousand. You're right, 1,500 or a thousand. And I think one even sold 300 copies, which is, when you think about it, not much for a traditional publisher at all. It's I don't know how these publishers make it. I know they give very little advance. It was probably a really, really small publisher, and maybe they gave no advance, but they just published it. So there's also this myth that if you have a traditional publisher, you'll have a stamp of approval and you'll maybe sell more copies because it's stamped by the professionals and therefore it's better. I think that's also a myth. Mostly that's in your own head. And there's this sense of credibility that you want to have, but it's all, it's all about the author, right? And his or her insecurities. I was published by a major publisher and I'm very, very grateful for that. But in the end, when I look back on the money I invested in marketing and selling that book and all the work I did to do it, I even got what I would call bonds. I, had, I borrowed money from a guy and then paid him interest to help invest in the in selling of the book. So I really invested heavily into promoting that book. I just think it's a myth that traditional publishers are actually gonna help you sell more books. Whether you self-publish or whether you publish with a traditional publisher, you have the same problem. And that problem is there is no mass market anymore. And you have to have what's called a minimal viable audience you have to have an audience that you're going to sell that book to. And so I do think it is a myth and one of the big myths of, of, of traditional publishing. You talk about that minimal viable audience. I want you to tell that story that your, um, your editor friend told you about the genre fiction, fiction author who actually has written over 20 books and sold on Amazon. I was so interested in this the other day. So one of my good friends is an editor and we were walking. We walk about once every couple of weeks, we'll go for a walk, especially during the pandemic. He actually offices out of San Francisco, but he's here now. And he was talking about an author, and I forget the name, who has written 
20 fiction books. Uh, I think it might be teenage fantasy books. It's genre, it's, it'd be under the category of genre fiction. So how this guy got started is he picked up a couple of books. It may have been his daughter's books and went, oh my God, these are written so poorly. I can do this. So he started writing one. He did one, he did two. And now he's published 20 on Amazon. Well, my guess is he probably has sold. I don't know what the numbers are. He's probably over a hundred thousand for those 20 books. And, and, and that's how you build a following. And he's probably has a website and he's probably done all this other stuff. So uh, there's just a lot of ways to publish and self-publishing is one of the primary ways. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the benefits here. But by the way, should we talk a little bit about the difference between vanity publishing and self-publishing on Amazon? Yeah, let's talk about that. Vanity publishing was the way you got published if in fact, if in fact you didn't get a traditional publisher. And so you paid a vanity publisher to publish your book. Today, with Amazon, came all these tools to do it yourself. You can hire your own designer. You can hire your own copy editor. You can hire readers to help you with the developmental edit. And you just manage it yourself. And so that's why Amazon has exploded and taken away, in essence, uh, that vanity publisher. So there is a difference between a vanity publisher and self-publishing. And to the next degree, traditional publishing. Those are three right. different things. Right. Three distinct uh, different ways of publishing, correct. As I mentioned, you've self-published and you've been with a traditional publisher. What did you love about self-publishing? The big thing I really loved about self-publishing for the fly fishing book is that we created an unbelievably creative, a visually creative book. And so it was kind of ex expensive to produce, but it was the book that I wanted to create. And we hired an illustrator out of Canada, and she designed the illustrations that were uh, that were implemented throughout the book in grayscale that went behind the words. And it was just, I'm so proud of that book. I'm more proud of that fly fishing book than I am of Death by Supper, which was published by Harper One. And, and so it's control. I was able to control it, and I'm able to control the rights. We'll talk about this in a little bit, but... I would say that I am more proud of the actual product that I created with the Fly Fisher's Book of Lists, Life is Short, Catch More Fish. Well, that is one point that I think we want to make um, is that you do have control over design. And I was thinking about one author we worked with who did work with a traditional publisher, a well-known traditional publisher, who had some pretty poor ideas for the cover. Uh, it didn't really coincide with the title, the artwork didn't. And so he consulted us and we pushed back and said, you really need to push back. But the traditional publisher really was trying to put something out that wasn't really reflective of the work that was inside the book. So you have to fight a lot harder than if you are publishing it yourself. I remember that story. The publisher was thinking about, quote, SEO, search engine optimization. So they had this long, sonorous, boring title because they were thinking, well, if somehow this is out there as this title, this author will get more organic web search traffic and thus sell more copies. That is like the worst approach ever. The good story about that is that the author did push back and push back hard and hard and hard. And finally, they relented. They still chose the artwork, which I did think at the end, it ended up being okay. The first 
benefit of publishing, of self-publishing is editorial control. And when you self-publish, you have that control. So Dave, we're talking a lot about control in this episode, and we talked about control of the artwork and the title. What other areas do you benefit in self-publishing with controlling your end product? Another one is the control of your rights. So ultimately, when you publish with a, with a traditional publisher, they have the rights. Now, yes, you own the rights, but only through them. For example, and I may have already mentioned this in a previous episode, but I published Death by Suburb with Harper One before the rise of Audible. And I now, when I go back to them and say, could I create an Audible version of Death by Suburb? I, I, I have no leverage. They control it. They've decided not to do that. And so I don't have the rights. So if, they, if I had the rights, I would pay my own expense to do it. It's not cheap to do it, but I would do it because I'm a risk taker and because I want that in the world, but now I have no control over that. So it's really, really important that you know this benefit, this first benefit that we're talking about of self-publishing is control. And if that is important to you, then you shouldn't sweat the fact that you're not getting published by a traditional publisher. You can control the rights, you can control the design, you can control the writing. That is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Now, many of you may say, well, I don't even know what I'm doing, but I think you know more than you think you know. And I think uh, self-publishing is, is really, is really a, a wonderful thing for those who want to control the end product. Learn as you do. I guess I just want to encourage people that, yeah, you may never have done it before, but there are a lot of helps out there on the internet and even the process of using KDP, Amazon's self-publishing vehicle, you can, you can figure it out. You figured it out. The KDP uh, Amazon platform is so simple to use right? and it makes it really simple. And so you can learn it, you can learn it. And there's now so many other providers of ways to get the Kindle book. It, it, again, there's so many tools out there for self-publishing. I, I think of this book that we uh, self-published for an author who wanted to add photographs stitched in with all the essays that the book included. And it was a wonderful book. And he is a tremendous photographer. These images are un unbelievable. And we put them in at periodic, I think it was every 10 essays, and they were black and white photographs. Well, a traditional publisher is not gonna do that. But if you have something you wanna create that's unique, then you really need to consider self-publishing because it gives you the control and the ability to do, the, to do what you really wanna do. Like with your fly fishing book, it gave you the ability to add lots of illustrations and package it with, you know, big punchy numbers and things like that, that you probably wouldn't have been able to do with a traditional publisher. We didn't even try to pitch a traditional publisher because we had an audience. We had 10,000 subscribers uh, to our podcast. So we had an audience that we wanted to sell the book to, and we were okay with that. This goes back to, you know, developing an audience as well, but it's really, really important that control is one of the big aspects of self-publishing. It's a wonderful, wonderful aspect. So Dave, what's the second benefit of self-publishing? So the second benefit is a financial benefit. Now, this is a caveat because when you're self-publishing, you're paying for everything yourself. So I know that, you know that. With a traditional publisher, they pay you and then they do all the production. Most traditional publishers are smaller publishers and so your advance 
the advance that you get to write the book is really, really small. My guess is for most advances, for most traditional publishers are less than $2,000 uh, as an advance. And that would be large for some, for some small publisher. It's not very much money. No, it's not. It is not. Your advance isn't going to be big. If you're a first-time author or a second-time author with not a lot of sales, again, they're not. It's this is about risk for them, and they want a mini business plan in your proposal because they want you to sell the copies. But here's the second benefit of self-publishing: if you're able to put that upfront money together and do it yourself, you receive more money per book. How much more? So let me give you a, an example. So with Death by Suburb, I received $1 per paperback. So roughly every time a paperback book sells, and that was from the time that they converted the book from hardback to paperback, I got a dollar. So the book is at about $14, I think. I get $1 of that. So when I get my royalty statement, I can almost tell you, I know exactly how many books I sell. If I got $150, I know I sold 150 books. With a hardback, it's a little more. So generally, and not always, with a hardback, it's about $3 for the hardback. So every hardback book that you sell through a traditional publisher, you'll get roughly $3 back. Now, that is just a dart throw. It was true for me, but it's not true for very, very successful authors. If you've sold a million copies, my guess is you can negotiate a sweeter deal. Maybe you get $5 a book or $6 a book. Or maybe you get $3 for the paperback. But if you're a new author or an author who hasn't sold millions, then you have no leverage. So generally, if you get published by a traditional publisher, you're going to get about a dollar a paperback and $3 for a hardback. And most likely, you won't get even a hardback printed. Usually, most books tend to be paperback. So I read a statistic that said that self-published authors can make between 40 to 60% royalties on a single book sale, while traditionally published authors usually make between 10 to 12% royalties. Does that ring true to you in your experience? Absolutely. And here's a good example. So the Fly Fisher's Book of List, initially, we sold it for $19.95. That's what we listed it as. That's what the price is listed on the book. And for the first maybe 1,000 copies, we sold it like that. We did reduce it. So you can do that. You can sell it at a discount. That's the other thing. You can control all that on Amazon. You want to sell it for $19.95? Oh, what if, you know, why don't you try it and see what it'll sell at for $14.95? You, you can do all that. So we at $19.95, Steve and I, because we co-wrote this book together, we received $8.75 per book. So that's more than 40%. So every time a book sold, we would get this royalty notice once a month. That money would flow into our account. If we if we sold a, if we sold a hundred books, just multiply a hundred times the royalty rate. It's a lot more than a dollar a book. Let me backtrack to that point that you made about adjusting the price of your book when you self-publish on Amazon, in particular. How does that work? Is it really that simple? As you just go in and change the change the price? Yep, that's exactly right. You go in, change the price. Within 24 hours, they upload the, the same book because it has a different price on it. I would imagine for first-time authors, it is really a guessing game how much to price your book at. If it's a paperback, hard to charge more than $19.95. Uh, most likely, it's probably a $14.95 product. You can adjust up and downward and with your price. Now, your, your royalty changes, right? Because you're not going to get $8.75 
if you charge $14.95, it's less. It might be $6 for the book. You can do the same with Kindle, the Kindle version. You can up your, you can change your price up and down and what you get paid differs with a Kindle based on that. So it's wonderful. I mean, you can literally change the price every day if that's, if that's something you want to do. I want to make the point that self-publishing through KDP is so great because you don't have to manage the inventory in order for your book is made and they print on demand. Whereas for instance, my parents self-published a book and they have to buy books in bulk that they then distribute either through the website or through speaking engagements. And it's just a hassle because you have all these books on hand that you, you don't sell and you're, you're carrying the cost of that. That's a great add to this conversation. The wonderful thing about publishing on the KDP platform is that you can purchase author copies. Uh, let me just give you an example. So we just did this for, a, for an author, uh, Long Live the Family Business, which was this book project that we worked on. It was awesome. And so I think the book is $14.95. His author copies are $2.82. So he can buy up to uh, 99 copies at a time. So it's not that he can only buy 99, but he can buy up to 99 copies at a time for $2.82. And then what do you do with those 99 books? Is it you take them to speaking engagements, you sell them to people if you are going to be speaking and say, this is part of the deal, you have to buy this many books in order for me to come speak? Is that part of how you use these author copies? Absolutely, there's a million ways to do it. I typically give away a lot of books because if it's that good, people will refer the book. And I, I tend not to be stingy. I'd rather give away a book and sell 10 than have one book sold for $14.95 because I made that person buy it. If you're a solopreneur or an entrepreneur and you've created this book, I would use, I would buy 50 copies and give them to your best referral sources. And, and that's what this guy did with this book called Long Live the Family Business. I can see all the data, all his book sales, and he has purchased, I think now close to a hundred. And I can see a correlation to, uh, to what he's doing in his sales on Amazon. And you think, well, you don't want to give that book away. People need to pay for it. Well, yes, there's no doubt that that's true, but you also need to seed the market back to that original uh, story. I told about this company buying or nonprofit buying 60,000 copies of this book that then went on to sell over a million copies. So you have to be smart about it. We don't all have money to be able to, to buy indiscriminately and give away indiscriminate books. You have to be strategic about it, thoughtful about it. But those author copies at that low rate is a huge benefit of publishing on KDP. Right, I would also imagine that it's a really great way to do some giveaways on social media. If you have a social media platform or a blog that's really active, you can use those author copies in a promotional sense to create some buzz around the book when you have the release of your book. Absolutely. What would you do? I think I would ask people to share a story related to the topic of the book. I don't know what the book would be, but say it was on collecting because that's what I do, collecting vintage. And maybe I'd have people enter the giveaway by sharing their favorite their favorite story from collecting over the years and to tag a friend. And then that would create some, and then that would enter them into the, into the giveaway. That's one idea. Um, I love that there, idea. I love the tagging of the friend. Yeah, because that, that creates some kind of cross-promotional, gets other people interested that may not be aware of the book or even you as a 
person on the social media platform that you're using. And I love the idea of giving away not just one book, I'm going to give away 10 books. So there's not this impossibility of ever winning one of the books. Right, exactly, exactly. And that may be a great topic for a future episode. We should cover that definitely. Absolutely. And I need to interview you on what you do on uh, McGillicuddy, your Instagram brand, because you have done such a great job building a real following. And that's such a model for authors who want to publish. If you only want to publish one book, then building a following in many ways doesn't make sense. But if you have a vision for writing for your life and you have your first book, there may be ultimately other books. Building a following online, and we'll talk about this more, we have on some level, but we'll go deep into that uh, specifically regarding book promotion here uh, soon. So back to the topic today, what is the third benefit of self-publishing? The third benefit really is the control over packaging. And when we say the word packaging, we're talking about the title, the subtitle, the cover art, how it's laid out internally, whether it's structured well, great fonts, the blurbs on the back, the copywriting on the cover, that's called packaging. And so traditional publishers typically only have one way to sell a book. It might only be the 250 page paperback. But if you wanna do other kinds of formats, and you want to control the packaging, then self-publishing is just a great way to go. I would caution people who use vanity publishers to really engage the publisher on that level because these vanity publishers, they're not as sophisticated typically as traditional publishers. And so you end up getting a second-rate looking book. And the same can be true if you're, you're self-publishing and you're hiring your own designer to do the cover and the interior layout. You need to have some editorial judgment. And um, if you don't have that editorial judgment, then you need some people around you to support you in giving you feedback. I could not agree more. My mom uh, has written two or three books now. I can't even remember. She's now 86. But she published with, I think, what would be considered a vanity publisher it's, there's kind of a blurring now that's happening between vanity and self-publishers. The most pure self-publishing platform, of course, is KDP Amazon. But now vanity publishers are required to do all the work for you and then require you to purchase books. My mom worked with one of those and the quality of the copy editing was poor. The, the design, oh my gosh, I, I choked on the design that they came up with for both books. My mom worked hard to negotiate because my mom is really sharp and has great uh, aesthetic kind of judgment. But you know you can push only so far because you're paying a, a set fee and you're paying for their artwork, you're paying for their copy editing and you kind of get what you get. You can have a couple of revisions and then all of a sudden, every time you email them, the cost goes up. And, and so being careful with, especially these vanity publishers, uh, as you think about your book, your book is not just the words, right? Uh, you're, you might have the best book, but if it's packaged poorly and packaged unprofessionally, and even some of these small traditional publishers don't know how to create great imagery, to tie the imagery to the, the title of the book, to tie it to the subtitle, how to do that well, that matters. It all matters in terms of sales. What do authors need to have in mind before they send the files to KDP? Like you, you, 
you write the book, but you also then need to get a line editor and then you need to get a copy editor and then you need to get a designer to lay out the book and also do the cover. You need to think about an ISBN number. Of course, I guess KDB can assign that for you, but what are the other components that go into self-publishing if you're gonna go directly through Amazon KDP? So if you're not giving your designer access to KDP and you're doing it yourself, because you can, you can, it's so simple. You do need to give your designer specific dimensions of the book. Amazon has very, very specific dimensions that the book can be. Now you can do it differently, but to do it is more custom and then your cost per book goes up and you make less money. So specific things like knowing, giving your designer the right dimensions of the book. And there's all these decisions that you make, whether you have it on cream paper or white paper, again, the dimensions of the book. Uh, I remember uh, with, uh, with the Fly Fisher's book of lists, we originally had the idea, what if we made the interior color? instead of black and white, because we had all these wonderful images and it was actually illustrations, not images, but they were illustrations throughout the book. You can go in and see, put in that it's gonna be a color interior and you put in all these specs, right? And it'll tell you what your profit's gonna be, what your royalty's gonna be. Well, we were gonna to have to pay Amazon about $10 a book. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't seem economically well, sound. <laughs> no, so, you just need to understand, be sure to give the dimensions and, and think through all these different little issues. Once you've done the developmental edit, you've had the readers read it, you put a period to it, you're sick of the book and you just want it done, you need the line edit. And then you need a, it to be proofed and you need several rounds of proofing, maybe up to five with people who have never read the book before and people who are anal retentive. So a lot of what we're talking about now, if you're going to do all those things, if you're going to hire a designer, if you're going to hire an editor, that takes money. And that is one of the drawbacks of self-publishing. You have to invest a little upfront. And that can be really scary for people who think, I may not get any of my money back. Can you speak to that a little bit? Well, that is the downside of self-publishing with all the benefits that we talked about today. If you're going to self-publish yet, you need a little risk capital. And if you're writing a book because you think somehow it's going to make you rich or that it's, it's even going to be an even proposition where you invest $10 and you return $10, it's a little bit silly to think that, especially if you don't have an audience. And so someone like you, Melissa, who has you know, 20, 25,000 followers on Instagram and you do a book and then you have a second book and there's this huge momentum that happens. But if you're not willing to put some risk capital in, but yet you want a publisher to do it, that's a red flag to me. I think though that first-time authors struggle so much with credibility that that's something that you have to get over. And you may believe in your, in your idea, but you don't feel credible and like maybe you're worth people spending money on because you've never done it before. You're not a writer or whatever. So you definitely have to get over that credibility issue early on if you really want to publish a book. And again, I think that if you're in the, if you're in the long game and the long game is not just one book, if all you want to do is publish one book and you're out, then your expectations should be really, really low. And that's okay. Only wanting to publish one book is, is a really good and wonderful aspiration. But I would caution you on overblown expectations about how many books you're going to sell. What are some of the other 
drawbacks of self-publishing? So one drawback is if you create a hardback and you put it on Amazon, which you can do, you have to fulfill that because Amazon does not publish hardbacks and they publish paperbacks and they do it on demand. So when somebody buys one of your paperbacks, that book has not yet been printed. And as soon as you hit buy, then somewhere in China or someplace, a book is printed. With hardback, that's not true with Amazon. So Amazon just doesn't do it. But you can post your book through KDP. And when somebody buys a book, you'll get an email notification with the address of the person who purchased the book. And then you have to fulfill it. So you have to have books on hand. So if you're buying, let's just say that little tiny book I did on uh, the marketing book called Native Tongue, that little book, I think the, the hard costs were like $7. And I sold it for like $19.95. Well, you have to buy a bunch of those at seven, $7.50. And then you have those on hand. And then every time somebody buys one on Amazon, you get an email and you fulfill the order. So you're going to the post office and sending that book. And then finally, the other drawback is you don't have a really fun story to tell about working with HarperCollins at a cocktail party. That's <laughs> right. You don't have a cocktail uh, story, right? Nobody's going to go, well, here's what you want. You're, oh, my God. You know, <sighs> I published with, uh, which one? with Random House. Oh, my God. They were just so... You know, just, well, and you can tell some fun story about your hassle with the editor. You just don't, you're not going to have that story if you publish yourself. <laughs> You'll have different stories. You'll have a different story. And, and at the end of the day, did someone who read your book refer it to someone else? That is the most vectoring question and the most important question. And I would say, because that points to it changed the way they think. And we believe that words and your words are important and that ultimately why you're writing the book is because you want to change the world around you. You are dead on. And what we really want is people to write because that is one of the best ways to change the world. You're changing people's thinking, you're changing their heart, you're changing how they get up in the morning and, and, and do their work differently. And that is a wonderful, wonderful aspirational life, the life of a writer. Absolutely. I love that. That is such a positive note to end on. We hope that you all got something out of this and you feel a little bit more confident in the area of self-publishing. So today we are going to end our podcast episode like we do each week, which is with our words of the episode. And I will go first. This is a word I learned quite a while ago, but it seemed fitting for the times. It is panacea. And I'll use it in the sentence and you can see if you know what it means. Everyone thinks that the vaccine, the COVID vaccine, is going to be the panacea to the ills of 2020 and 2021. Panacea means all healing in Greek, and fittingly, panacea was the Greek goddess of healing. And so today we use the word to refer to something that could fix everything. It's a cure-all. So I don't know, maybe you think that eating that bowl of ice cream is going to cure all of your day's woes. So I love that word, panacea. It's a pretty word to say. It's spelled kind of funny. It's P-A-N-A-C-E-A. -A -A. So it's a fun little word to see on paper and it's a fun word to say. I love the word. It's perfect for what we're talking about. People think that traditional publishing is a panacea. 
Yes, they do. It's a yes, absolutely. That's great. So what's your word of the episode, Dave? So mine is the word poignant, P-O-I-G-N-A-N-T, poignant. And the word means to evoke a keen sense of sadness or regret, but it also has a positive sense of moving or touching. That was moving or that was touching. So you might go to a concert and hear a cello performer and afterwards you might sit, turn to your spouse and say, wow, that was a poignant moment where he paused and then he played the whole thing in quarter notes or something. I don't know what you would say. Or that piece was poignant. Or that was a poignant moment. So <laughs> I've got busted on this word. So I've mentioned years ago that I went through this phase where I realized, man, my vocabulary sucks. I need to, I need to up my vocab. So I would actually create vocab cards. And in all my reading, I would put every word on a vocab card that I didn't know. And one of them was poignant. Well, I had not learned how to pronounce it. So I would say poignant. That's how I say it, Dave. You're not alone. So I'm glad you're teaching me today. <laughs> so it's not poignant, it's poignant. It's poignant. I remember a friend, I, I was back when I was an editor and he turns to me and said, did you just say poignant? It's not poignant. It's poignant. And I went, ooh, I was embarrassed, but I was so glad he corrected me. Well, I am so glad you corrected me today because I don't think I've ever said it correctly. How embarrassing. <laughs> One of my friends says that if you mispronounce words, it's likely because you're a reader and you're reading them phonetically. So that means maybe you're not hearing them, but you're reading them. And that's really true of French words, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, I'm terrible at reading French words. Oof, don't, don't even ask me how to say those French words. All right, well, those two words close out our episode, but before we sign off, we wanna invite you to sign up for our Road Trippers Facebook group. Dave, how about you talk a little bit about what people will get when they join our Road Trippers Facebook group? So we have two Facebook pages. One is our Journey 66 Facebook page. That's our general page, but we also have a closed group called Road Trippers. And it's closed because we only invite those who join the group to our weekly uh, question and answer sessions that we do every Tuesday at 3.30 p.m. So if you would like to be invited to our weekly Q&A sessions, then just simply jump on Facebook, type in Road Trippers and ask to join the group and we will allow you in. And then you will receive every week uh, an invitation to uh, to our Q&A. It lasts about an hour. We have authors that are currently working on books and it's just a great time. And we do uh, a Q&A session. We also do a short teaching session. Last week, we did a, a session on transition paragraphs, how to create a transition paragraph uh, as you're writing a chapter to help you with structure, to help you identify uh, what the thesis is of the book and set up the next movement in the chapter. So very, very practical stuff. So these are our skills workshops that we do every time. If you want to join Road Trippers, simply jump on Facebook, ask to join the group and we'll let you in and you can at your leisure join our weekly uh, coaching calls. And no pressure to contribute. If you just want to sit in and listen, we're not going to 
pick you out of the group and make you share something. So <laughs> we're not looking to embarrass you, but we'd love for you to join and see if it would be something that would help you on your book writing journey. So I have loved this episode and I hope that again, you feel encouraged to move forward with your writing project, make a difference in the world with your words. I'm Melissa Parks. And I'm Dave Getz. Now buckle up and write.